stories are an integral part of our lives. Um, we love reading stories, going to the movies, or turning on Netflix, watching a good story, uh, turning on the radio or a podcast and listening to a good story. Um, we even like telling stories to our friends and family sometimes. Um, one storyteller, a science fiction author, said that the purpose of a storyteller is not to tell you how to think but to give you questions to think upon. This is why we gravitate to stories. They lead us to ask questions about the world around us and about ourselves. And the best stories are the ones leaving us wanting more because we want to find out more about ourselves. Today we're going to look at a story just like this. It's a story of the healings of Jairus' daughter and the bleeding woman found in Mark 5. Now, before we get to the actual story, a few personal notes. This is probably my favorite story in the entire Bible. Uh, I love getting lost in it. I spend, have spent a lot of time in it over the past several years. You can ask Stacy if you are curious what that looks like. And um, it's a complex story, but you have these intricacies that are woven together in these beautiful ways um, you have these stark differences in characters and then these surprising similarities. It's just a great story. So, I'm not going to try to convince you that it should be your favorite story. But hopefully you'll see maybe why it's my favorite and be able to gain something from that. Take something away from this story and put it into your life. So because this is my favorite story, and it's not a short story, and it's very complex, and those complexities are worth really diving into, we're going to spend two weeks on this. So if you feel like there should be more to the story, uh, you're right, there is. So let's get to the actual story that we keep talking about, um, at least the first part of it. We're going to read it in two chunks today. Um, so you can keep your Bibles open if you'd like. We'll be in Mark chapter 5, starting in verse 21. Will also be up on the screen. So Mark 5, 21 through 24. When Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered around him, and he was by the sea. Then one of the leaders of the synagogue named Jairus came, and when he saw him, fell at his feet and begged him repeatedly, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. So he went with him. The story begins by Jesus crossing to the other side of the sea. You may remember that right before this story, Jesus was on the Gerasene side of the sea, the Gentile side. This is where he had a rather memorable encounter with a legion of unclean spirits. And now he's back on the more familiar side, uh, the Jewish side. Nothing is really recorded about the journey across the sea. Um, it's not nearly as eventful as the last time he was on it. Uh, but this is the same sea, the same sea he had calmed, the same sea that we saw a giant herd of pigs dive into. So last week we had talked about the authority of Jesus, Jesus' power. And this is a subtle reminder that his authority is never in question as he easily crosses to the other side. 
So when he gets to the shore, he's immediately met with the ever-present crowd. It seems that wherever Jesus goes, the crowd wants to follow him. And in the midst of the mass of bodies, we meet our first new character, Jairus. So what do we know about Jairus? Well, for starters, we know his name is Jairus, which sounds silly, I know. But when looking at this, we realize that not everyone gets a name. In fact, most characters in these miracle stories don't get names. The garrison demoniac, the leper that was healed, the paralytic lowered through the roof, the Seraphonician woman, none of them have names. Jairus does have a name. So that must make him important. Also makes his name important. So what does it mean? Scholars are divided. I know, that's a surprise. On what his name means. But they've come down to two options here. Both of which are fitting. Could mean he enlightens or he awakens. So just hold on to those words. Enlighten and awaken. We'll come back later to those to see how they fit into the story. Jairus is also one of the leaders of the local synagogue, so that makes him about a B-level celebrity in the community. He doesn't have crowds of people around him at all times like Jesus, but he's someone that people recognize. They know him from his role in the synagogue, and they respect him because of that. Because of this, we also know he is Jewish, which matters because we have not seen a Jewish leader respond positively to Jesus so far in Mark. This is a big moment. So in an act completely unbefitting of his title, Jairus falls to his knees and begs Jesus repeatedly. What would cause a man of such regard to do such an embarrassing action? A dying child. Jairus has heard of Jesus' reputation and knows that this may be his only hope at saving his daughter. Without any discussion, Jesus goes with the Jewish leader to heal a young girl. Again, it's striking to see Jesus walking with a member of the religious elite, the same group of people that are actively plotting Jesus' demise. I wonder what the crowd would have thought of when they saw this one of their leaders in the dust on the shore begging Jesus. They were probably confused. They were probably concerned. So far, this is a mildly interesting story. You have a Jewish leader coming to Jesus for help, which is noteworthy. You have a crowd, which is always there. And you have a dying girl, which is sad. But Jesus is on the way. And we know that Jesus can handle this. He calmed the sea. He handled a legion of unclean spirits. A, a girl who's sick should be no problem. But like any good story, there is a twist. An interruption. So let's pick up the story in verse 24. And a large crowd followed him and pressed in on him. 
Now there was a woman who had been suffering from hemorrhages for 12 years. She had endured much under many physicians and had spent all that she had, and she was no better, but rather grew worse. She had heard about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak. For she said, if I but touch his clothes, I will be made well. Immediately, her hemorrhage stopped, and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. Immediately aware that power had gone forth from him, Jesus turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched my clothes? And his disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing in on you. How can you say, Who touched me? He looked all around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling, fell down before him, and told him the whole truth. He said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. We now meet our second character, a woman. We'll start with the obvious again. She's a woman. And in the first century, the realm of the women was in the house. To be fair, they had a significant amount of power within the walls of their house, but outside of the front door, that power quickly fades. She's already starting at a disadvantage to her male counterparts in the public sphere. So going up to a public figure like Jesus would be incredibly bold and presumptuous, regardless of her social standing. We also know she's been bleeding for 12 years. Doesn't matter how old she is, 12 years is a long time. On the physical side, this is a terrible ordeal to have to bear for over a decade. To make matters worse, this bleeding made her ritually unclean the entire time, making her a religious and therefore social outcast. As an observant Jew, you'd want to stay away from this woman because she was unclean. And if you happened to touch her, or if some of her blood got on something, that would be unthinkable. So since this has been going on for so long, this community surely knows that this woman is unclean perpetually. And in her attempts to find a cure, she spent all of her money and is actually in a worse condition. The mention of hopping from doctor to doctor without any cure or path forward sounds all too familiar to our modern ears. The problem is that when you run out of money, you run out of options when it comes to health care. So she is a poor, bleeding, ritually unclean, socially outcast woman. She is the image of hopelessness in this community. She's also the social opposite of Jairus. There are no doors open to her, figuratively or literally, whereas Jairus sees only open doors. She holds no place in society, and she doesn't have a name. Yet she enters the scene 
with the same desperation we saw in Jairus. A desperation that's willing to do anything for the restoration of life. So while these two figures couldn't look any more different on the outside, they had the same desire for healing and full restoration on the inside. So as she presses her way through the crowd, the woman doesn't have the boldness to talk directly to Jesus, to meet him face to face, like Jairus did. She didn't have her social standing to throw around to get there. She crawled there. This is where we realize she didn't have anything to lose. So she reaches out in faith, hoping that by simply touching the clothes of such a holy man, she might be healed. It might sound superstitious, but she knew there was something powerful about the touch of Jesus. Jairus also knew this. When he came to Jesus, Jairus asked for him to come and lay his hands on his daughter so that she might be healed. It seems that these two characters are more alike than we might think at first glance. So although they appear to be complete opposites, they both need the healing touch of Jesus. So when she touches Jesus' clothes, she is immediately healed. It's an odd healing. It's as if Jesus doesn't have any control over his healing powers, and they can just go out of him whenever they feel like it, have a mind of their own. But we know from the previous scenes that Jesus' power and authority isn't in question here. The answer, then, to what's happening is not that Jesus is out of control, but that Jesus' power doesn't fit neatly into how we think about it. It doesn't fit our expectations. Jesus doesn't fit our expectations. And this story is a great example of that. So when Jesus feels his power leave, we see some reoccurring characters pop up. We know them, we love them, the disciples. They've been around this entire time, um, but we haven't heard a peep out of them since they woke Jesus up on the boat. Here they seem to be acting completely reasonably. When Jesus asked who touched him, they know that that is a ridiculous question. (laughs) Tons of people have touched him. It's a crowd. That's how a crowd works. So you can't really blame them for this response. We're all thinking it. I'm thinking it. Jesus, however, doesn't think that their response deserves a response from him. Instead, he continues to look around for who it was that touched him. And as quickly as they appeared, the disciples, maybe ashamed, maybe confused, disappear back into the background. And the woman reappears. This time, She comes before Jesus with the same posture that we saw Jairus, falling on her hands and knees, knowing that if Jesus can heal her, surely he has the power to punish her as well. She's been found out. But Jesus doesn't have a negative word to say to her. Instead, he blesses her. He says, 
daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. This is a striking statement to the woman. First, he calls her daughter. This immediately draws our minds back to how this story started about a daughter who needed healing. The same daughter that started Jesus on this path. But this word also gives us a sense that Jesus cares for her. She's been an outcast and now is being welcomed in as a daughter, publicly, in front of everyone. She's part of Jesus' family. She's part of a community again. Jesus also says that her faith was a key ingredient in this healing. She believed that Jesus was so powerful that she could be healed by the slightest touch. And she was right. Jesus does have that much power. Her faith in Jesus made all the difference for her story. Now the word used here for has made you well is the same word as saved. So you could read this as your faith has saved you. We've also heard this when Jairus came to Jesus saying, please, Come and make my daughter well. Come and save her. Jesus ends this encounter by saying, go in peace. Be healed of your disease. And here Jesus is not just talking about the physical healing that she's received. Although right now, only she knows about it. And he knows about it. So he is proclaiming this publicly. But there's more. He wants her life to be defined by peace and wholeness. She is healed and able to go from this place as a new person. Not defined by her bleeding, but by her life in Christ. We learn something in this healing. We learn that Jesus' ministry knows no limits. Jesus came for men and women. He came for the young and the old. He came for the wealthy and the poor. He came for the social elites, and he came for those who society had cast aside as worthless. Jesus brings restoration to the world the whole world. This is only half the story, though. We can celebrate this healing, but we must also remember that Jairus is still in this scene, standing there, waiting. Waiting as his daughter dies. You can only imagine what was going through his head while he sees Jesus searching in the crowd for someone who had touched him. How nervous he felt. Disappointed. Angry. If the disciples thought, thought that this was a ridiculous question to ask, who touched me? 
Jairus must have thought it was a careless decision. Careless question. Jesus doesn't care anymore. And that's the tension we're left with. And that's where the story ends today. So let's take a step back from the story. Lent, left in waiting, is a place fitting for us today because we are in the midst of Lent. This is a season in the church where we are patiently, sometimes impatiently waiting for the most exciting day in the Christian year, Easter. But we aren't there yet. We're a little over halfway, but we are still very much in the midst of Lent. And we know that Lent, these 40 days, isn't the end. But it shapes how we get to the end and what we think of when we get there. It's all about this waiting, this tension. The tension of acknowledging our sin and asking, asking for forgiveness. The tension of giving something up for 40 days and waiting for that time to come to a close. The tension that soon we will remember that Christ died and then celebrate that he rose again. This tension, this waiting, causes us to think about what's important in our lives. It helps point out those things that we truly care about. It puts Easter in context. So what are the things in your life that really matter? These are the things that often cause desperation when they're threatened. So what are the areas in your life where you feel desperate? Where is Lent making you feel this tension this year? Now, desperation isn't a bad thing. We see in the story that the desperation of Jairus and the woman is used well. How we deal with desperation, that's what's important. In the story, we see desperation meeting its proper destination. Jesus' loving embrace. As Christians, we're called to cast all of our cares upon God, which is exactly what we see in this story. Coming to the feet of God with our burdens is the best and only path forward. The difficulty comes when we need to wait. But that's why we practice it during Lent. It makes us more resilient in the future. It also forms the habit of coming to God and waiting. Sometimes we see progress as quickly as the woman, and other times we watch as others' needs are met, like Jairus. This habit of waiting takes time to form and is something we'll work on our entire lives. Thankfully, Lent happens every year. God wants to walk with us in our story. The question is really if we're willing to accept the multiple ways that that story will look. Let's spend a few moments coming to the feet of Jesus and simply waiting. Mm-hmm.
Thank you for listening. If you would like to learn more about the Free Methodist Church of Santa Barbara, you can visit us online at fmcsb.org. We pray this message has been a blessing to you.